And welcome back to the Coaching Couch Podcast. I'm here with the usual suspects, owner and operator, Coach Manny. Good to see. No, I'm not seeing anyone. Good for you guys to chime in. <laughs> and uh, fitness consigliere, real estate agent, Cameron Hudson. Hello. I wasn't really sure uh, quite where Manny was going with that <laughs> intro. I didn't either. Kind of just took me off my game. I, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he kind of threw me for a loop there, too. I, I don't know what I was doing, guys. He's so scripted honest. usually, and that one was just like figuring it out as he went. Yeah, he was just uh, he just <laughs> went on went on the fly. But Manny, there. you crushed it on hitting the record button. So for that, yeah, we tried we something different you. today, people. Manny is uh, was the board engineer for today, and he crushed it. And he's been up since like four thirty. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh man, he's Yo, coaching classes this I morning. Crushed it, Cameron. I, how funny was my message this morning? It was funny dude, because, I I, dude, I shit you not. I shit you not. I was going to do that. I I know you are. I know you quite I think that well. might have been my favorite part of the conversation. But I just want to thank you guys for uh, tuning into our last episode. It was a very popular one, to say the least. So we just want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. And we're happy that you like the content that we're putting out. But uh, we did promise you guys that we were going to give you a 2.0. And the 2.0 version of the podcast was for the business side of things. Um, Manny has had some experience with, uh, you know, purchasing gyms, all right, starting up his own gym and purchasing gyms. And I think a lot of people, especially some of those people who reached out to me, were very intrigued about the business aspect of it. So we wanted to take the opportunity to explain the process. But before we even get into the whole process of buying and selling gyms, I just want to talk about Manny and his background and how he became a, a gym owner. And we'll start there and then we'll build the conversation from that part. Totally. Yeah. So um, I have been a gym owner for a little bit over 10 years and I've been able to experience quite a few things. Um, a little bit about my personality is I'm a, I wouldn't say I'm a big risk taker. I'm a very calculated <laughs> risk taker. I'm a very calculated risk taker. I'm not. I'm not full send. No. I'm gonna send. I'm gonna put some screenshots. I'll send them over to Jay. And uh, <laughs> I mean, Wait, I'm not, I don't think I'm reckless. We'll, we'll put that in the discovery file. I so. don't know. Am well, I reckless? Well, I will say I'm this. No, reckless. you're not reckless. But you, your risk appetite is oh, well, much yeah. larger than the average person. Well, yes, and like that's what I mean. Like, I'm <laughs> yeah, not, you're I'm not, reckless. not really you like have the, that. Yeah. To, to be successful, you got to bet on yourself, and you got to take those risks. There's no risk. Without there's no reward without risk. I say. Yeah. yeah. Well, <clears throat> I mean, it's it's funny that he he mentions is that mentions that like almost verbatim from what we had talked about with the active life prompt, mm -hmm. right? Like what happens if you go all in, yeah, and it's like it doesn't matter if it's fitness or whatever your career or life is, but you know there is uncertainty that's going to come with it if you want it. I mean, Man, unless you just got it made where family's got money and things are taken care of, but. That is a very small percentage of the population. And life. if you're listening, you're probably like me, and that's not you, pal. You're not that guy. <laughs> not that guy. <laughs> you're not that guy, Skip. But, you know, you got to I'm, – I'm happy you brought that up, that, you know, he says he's a calculated risk taker, and then you kind of jumped in. I always feel like anybody great has had to have some kind of high risk factor. You got to. You have to. There's no way you play it safe and become great. There has to be that aspect of, like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to hit full send on it and just go. Yeah, yeah, that has to be some sort of aspect on your personality that 
you just say <clears throat> fuck it. I'm gonna I'm gonna go all in. I, I, yeah, mean, that's I, the name I don't. Of the game. I can't think of anyone who's wildly successful. Well, I think that's who, that right there is is exactly the difference. Successful and wildly successful, yeah. right? Is like the in between is what's the separator because somebody can be quote unquote successful, but it's all marginal, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you're making small bets, like yeah, maybe they're winning, but it's not really stacking up to much, no. and it's going to take a lot more of those small wins as opposed to a couple big wins. Totally, totally. All right, so let's jump into this background. Yeah, yeah. So um, in in ten years, um, I have uh, bought out a small business partner. I have, uh, you know, obviously opened up uh, one gym, moved like three times, two or three times from it. Um, bought another gym and and recently just sold one. And I've helped uh, lots of my uh, friends in the fitness industry with their buyouts and their their own negotiations and and things like that so can i ask a question yeah. with the uh three locations why three locations uh because <laughs> a lot of people are going to ask that yeah he yeah. moved three times yes uh the first one was what crossfit scars i mean technically there's four moves but well three locations three locations so, so four, say, four yeah. moves three locations yeah i actually don't even remember right so, so, it was so my gray very rock. first one was a uh, gray rock which we were there for six months and we got kicked out in six months we were threatened for we were going to be evicted for uh, noise violations. So that was that. Like, what is the certificate of occupancy issue, or was no, it? No, no. We're, the... we're going to get there. Yes. Okay, I got you. <laughs> so, so this is my very first one. So within six months of opening, I'm like 24 years old, and uh, there was a gym right below me. We did a sound test, and they didn't care at the time. Long story short, there were a, a much larger tenant, and in basic commercial leases, there's um I, I forget how they word it exactly, but it's something. Cameron, you, you may know what it's kind of or, or like how it's worded where it, quiet enjoyment there we go it's quiet enjoyment so um if the other tenants can't enjoy their property because of your noise then you're in violation of your lease gotcha. so essentially that's what happened to me you know, um, you know and, and that really kind of comes from like me not understanding how to read leases how to understand them so my first dose of like oh shit this is real life so we got <laughs> kicked out um found another place right down the street very quickly uh and i was very fortunate to to kind of stumble onto that one um, we were there, it was a slightly smaller space, about 750 square feet. And, uh, we outgrew that place in under a year. That layout was, <laughs> that's where I met Cam. Is, that was something, is that where you met man. Cam? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was a gem. <laughs> it was, it was cool. It just was like, I mean, when you're talking like old school CrossFit, just yeah. like fucking grungy, that was that place. So Manny had a basement. So you had to go down a flight of stairs to where all the rowers and bikes were. And if you would program something like in the workout, you went down the flight of stairs oh, into the God. basement. Then you went up the flight of stairs to go back to, you know, the pull-up bar or, mm-hmm. you know, the barbell, whatever it was. And then for running, we were backed up to a parking lot near the Scarsdale um, train station. parking garage yeah. by the train station. So you'd run through there, but there was a dumpster <laughs> and you got two, two aromas. You either got, <laughs> you either got the bakery or you got like, Dumpster raw juice. sewage and yeah. it was like if we were running you hoped for the bakery <laughs> now, yeah. now uh what what year was this 2013 probably 2013 2012 was when we opened and got kicked out and by the time we we're in the other place i think it oh, was so this is like og crossfit yeah yeah, times. yeah yeah this was uh 2013 when we, were, when we were in the second location okay and then we um we're kind of bursting out the seams 
So we ended up uh, moving to the place where we're at now. All right, so my question is, like, when you guys say bursting at the seams, right, this is what the business owners are going to want to know, right? The floor was literally bursting. There was well, there certain, was there were certain parts that you could tent lift. <laughs> oh, shit. I thought it was more so. Uh, both, no, both. 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 I'm, yeah, just, I'm just literally. kidding. Okay. So <clears throat> what did you guys do to grow the business for it to grow in that period of time? Because I know a lot of business owners are going to want to know what I, was the <clears throat> At that time period, honestly, like I would say, like, it was mostly luck. I would and be really on. honest. Yeah. You know, at that time we had ran a group on, which helped uh, accelerate the membership. Uh, and at that time, like group on kind of wasn't what it was now. It was, it was little, very different it was back then. A little, little bit different, you know, like you're allowed to you know have just like a really basic intro offer. Um, and at the time, like that's when CrossFit was hitting its, it's like peak, you know, that's when it started becoming really popular. So we didn't really have to do much. And I think at the time, like we were, I mean, if I look back at it now, it's like, oh, man, what the hell was I doing, you know, programming and, and training. But at that time, we were definitely one of the better fitness services at that time. Okay. Which I think helped. But largely, I think it was mostly like really good timing, decent, <clears throat> de decent location, really good timing, really good word of mouth. Um, yeah, at that time, I think we had we we're approaching like 100 members at that time in a 1750 square foot place. It was tiny, very tiny. Um, we found our current place on, on uh, Craigslist and, uh, we pretty much moved in without really like going over shit with the town, uh. which like, you know, I was like 25 and didn't think like things were a big deal and they are a big deal when, uh, Who would have thought? <laughs> yeah. When there's like zoning laws and stuff, which like I didn't experience in my prior two places because I guess they were both already zoned for what I wanted to do, Yes, which I didn't even I even know that there was, yeah, I, it, it was honestly just my, my ignorance, my, my ignorance of just, yeah, just not doing my homework, you know, went in there, got uh, kicked out after, uh, I forget how long we, we were going, uh, six, seven months, I was going to say six, seven months, six, seven months, got kicked out for like four or five months until, uh, uh, we were allowed to go back in, which was a really long process of like going, you know, hiring a lawyer, um, going through, uh, the town court every month and getting denied, oh. um, you know, w w which honestly is like all like a game, you know, like they all, everyone in the town, they, they, they all know what's going on, mm -hmm. you know, but they were, they were honestly like punishing me for being ignorant and not listening. Okay. Right. Which is fine. I, I don't, um, I don't disagree with their decision to teach me a lesson and I'm glad that they did although it cost me tens of thousands of dollars, but that, that is what it is. Um, it's a very good learning experience. So we eventually, uh, moved back in and, and that's how, uh, that went. And I eventually from there bought out my partner, I had a 15% uh, partner at the time, um, negotiated, uh, that was my first time negotiating any sort of, uh, real deal, right? Cause when it comes to like lease negotiations, mm -hmm. which I can go into right now, actually, seems like an okay segue. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. I mean, I have tons actually, of fucking Well, you're talking about lease negotiations? Let's actually go. Let's, yeah, let's, let's pause actually it, go. right? Yeah. And then, so I want to know about this. Uh, so this whole zoning situation. So as a gym owner, right, or as someone who's looking to become a gym, gym owner, is this something that you need to look at right away when you get the lease agreement? 
Like, how does this work? Before because you even get the lease. Before yeah. you even get the lease agreement. Yeah. <clears throat> so this is so this is why I wanted to stop because a lot of people just don't even know this aspect of it. Everybody knows that people buy gyms, but they don't know what goes into the behind the scenes aspect of it. So now you find a spot. First thing you want to look for is zoning. Is it zoned for what I need to do? Exactly. Yes. And so- yeah. I mean, but this is where you would probably should have had, you know, a real estate agent to do a lot of this legwork for you. Yes. And with the zoning stuff, stuff can be rezoned, but you have to go through the process. Oh, so yes. a real estate agent can so, do this. Yeah. Well, they're going to be your point person to like gotcha. do all the back end work, but it's all, all about doing your due diligence, your homework on, mm-hmm. on the property. Okay. You know, so Manny found it on Craigslist. To me, that's red flag. Number one is like, I don't think anybody really cares what's going on. You know, that's, that's a you problem. Yeah. Cause it's not you know, regulated no on Craigslist, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You put whatever you want on there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've gone through it with, you know, people in Bronxville, like certain shops are zoned for certain things, but then right next door, it's zoned for this. And then it's just a, a hassle where you got to go through the town and, and see if they're willing to rezone it. And that's a process in itself. Yeah. So you may not even sign a lease while you're doing all this stuff. Yes. Oh, so this is, this is just <laughs> part of the negotiation aspect. The, the about- lease, yeah, the lease being signed is like when you know you can actually. Well, that would be the equivalent of closing on your house. Like, got you, got you. When you buy a house, you get an accepted offer, you go to contract, and then eventually you close. The lease would be the closing. Okay. Right? That's when money exchanges hands and it's yours. Yeah. But and there's a lot of stuff that can go on between seeing it and then actually getting to that point. Yeah. Okay. And I think something that's pretty important too is that um, I believe this should be the landlord's responsibility to actually handle that process of rezoning or or getting the right permissions and licenses and anything that's involved with the new tenant being you using that space. Because what ends up happening a lot of times is um, a lot of new businesses or new business owners, they'll go and they'll sign the lease and then they find out that it's not zoned properly or they need something that's very specific, Mm -hmm. but the lease is already signed and it's supposed to start. And I've known people who... Um, you know, they'll have like a two or three month free rent or grace period into their lease, but this process is six months or maybe longer. So now, especially nowadays, yeah, every town is around here is backed up with paperwork. I mean, they're just like so slow on getting stuff done. Yeah. You know, and, um, then, then you end up paying rent on a space that you legally can't even use and there's nothing you can do about it because you signed the lease and, you know, a lot of landlords are not that nice. I've been really fortunate, really, really lucky with my past few. Um, but there, I, I've heard stories of landlords not being so so uh, fair, really. So for our listeners, all right, make sure your landlord is on point with that. I think that's one thing that they can, could you, re- so in negotiations or when you find the spot, I'm not even talking about negotiations because that's a little further down. Um, that is something that I think they should inquire about, right? Hey, is this, is this zone for what I need to be doing? Um, because if you don't have a real estate agent like Cam, right, who's not at that point. Hit me up. Right? You know, you got to be able to have a conversation with the landlord and say, hey, listen, this is what my, you know, my business is about. Is it zoned for this? Because that's how you got kind of caught in the crosshairs, right? Mm-hmm. That you kind of skipped that part. And then next, you know, you're all moved in. You're situated. You're six months in and someone knocks on the door and goes like, Hey, buddy, this shit ain't zoned for that. Yeah. And usually on the on the other side of the equation is the real estate agent who is leasing out the property mm-hmm. will vet the 
person who's trying to lease it. So you can reach out and be like, hey, I want to see the space. And then if you get to a point where you're like, hey, you know, like we'd like to rent it, they'll be like, what's your business? What do you do? Send me your website. Give me info on it. The landlord will approve it or the owner. Good landlords will. Right. But this is, again, this comes back to, and this isn't your current landlord. This is before the building exchange hands. Mm -hmm. But he went through Craigslist. So there's no one vetting anything on either side of the table, which you should have known, but like hindsight is what it is. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I would have made, I would have done probably the same thing, you know, just being where it was Yeah, and like, at, at, the, at that point in time. But a lot of this could have been saved. Even if you didn't have a real estate agent, their person should have been like asking you certain questions. And then when you said certain things, they would have been like, well, yeah, like this building isn't zoned for that. Like they would have stopped you yeah. before it got to that point. Not saying that you couldn't have done this space. It just would have taken more legwork. Gotcha. I mean, this is an industrial space. So that, this is what kind of confusing. This is a fucking huge facility. And it wasn't zoned for this? So, yeah. Uh, in the town of Eastchester, there's like, there's zoning and then there's something else that kind of, uh, I cannot remember the definition. But it describes what kind of business can go. And so it was, technically it was zoned for retail and, and what we do. But the last tenant used this as a like some sort of like mechanic auto body type shop and we were going through what is called like a change of use got you and since we were changing the use from this to that now there's different parking requirements handicap accessibility and different rules depending on the type of business you are running which is something i didn't know about got you so that's where we got caught was that like i was like oh like oh retail i'm cool here but since we were changing the use of the facility that had different rules now Mm. now especially with like parking like that's probably the biggest thing in most towns especially in like the parking you know metro like areas is going to be parking issues so that's what the town is trying to really sift through is like hey this business can't run here if there's not sufficient parking for example ah. yeah. so listen our listeners take these notes man because these are these are vital if you're in the business and you're looking to do these type of things make that's, sure that's you any know. business you know like not yeah. even just a gym that's just like you're going to open up some sort of business and go into a space like do your homework and and have somebody on your side who can help you kind of navigate through everything. Yeah, and, and I think some early advice I would give people too is like don't be a, don't be a cheapskate about it. Mm. You know, um one of my coaches, one of my wrestling coaches in high school would always say, you know, you take shortcuts you, you get cut short. You know. People are always trying to take shortcuts and like save a dime here and there and then you <laughs> This has happened to me so many times in my life that I've learned, like, we do things the right way. Hire your lawyers, hire your real estate agents, pay whatever fees that are needed, get an accountant, get all the right people. Because if you do something wrong, it ends up costing you like 10x the original. Mm -hmm. Just do it. It's not worth it, man. Not, <laughs> Learn you know, from me. <laughs> if you cut corners, it's going to catch up to you anyway. It, yeah. Well, it always and does. It's not even if you're trying to intentionally cut corners. But if you're just it's like just trying to save a buck, yeah. If you're just like, oh, I'm not going to pay, you know, an attorney. Like I can read through this lease or something yeah, like, like that. Oh, it's like one legal zoom. Yeah, I'm just going to have something drafted up. It's like, yeah. Well, eventually, when somebody pokes holes in it, you're going to have to pay yeah. for it, and they're going to have to undo the damage that was done, and then redo it. You know, so it's yeah. Now you're looking at a lot more going into it. Yeah. Time, energy, money, especially with reading leases. <laughs> have you ever read a commercial lease? Man, that is a different language. 
that now, like now, you need someone does to the, does the lawyer it. do that or mm-hmm. so oh, yeah. in new york the um because i've never purchased a commercial <clears throat> space yeah i mean so in new york real estate is uh the attorney is equally involved as like a real estate agent okay so Basically, the real estate agent is responsible for like negotiations, property search, and kind of just like quarterbacking the whole process. Gotcha. And then once you have like an accepted offer, you're going into contract. That's when the attorneys step in because that's when the contracts are being written by the seller's attorney. And so then the buyer's attorney reviews everything, goes through it with the buyer or the leasee. You know, so there's a lot of like legal stuff that gets involved. And then if there's other negotiations that happen usually that's when the attorney also has to step in copy yeah ah. it's not like that everywhere like i was just talking to my parents they're buying something in um in kansas and i was just really thrown for a loop at the whole process is like mm-hmm. they kind of write like a quote-unquote contract yeah to make the offer so like everything has to be like signed and i was like okay that's a little different. And like, they don't even get it, attorneys involved until like the very end. Oh, okay. So first thing is you gotta, yeah. you gotta know the lay of the land. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, okay. All right. So now let's, let's, let's uh, refocus, right? You get all that situated, right? Now you're back in the spot. And then where do we go from there? Yeah. So we're back in and uh, I eventually buy out uh, my partner, you know, it was a small partner at the time, very helpful for the time that I needed to start, you know, as a really, uh, really savvy guy we're still tight um but that my that was my first experience uh with negotiating which because that was a lot like few people hit me up on the side and they were asking about that aspect of it like that like that buyout part like can you kind of go into how that went yeah i mean so when i first approached my partner he was not at all surprised by it because we kind of both knew that I was running the gym and it, and it was my thing. And he had his, he had his own gym and doing, doing his thing. So I, I think he expected it. You know, we, we hit some turbulence on negotiating the buyout price. Uh, our numbers were so far apart. Mm-hmm. And that was my first experience with like playing hardball. And, and uh, you know, in, in hindsight, when I think about it now, there's, I'm like not that proud of how I did it. Okay. You know, because, um, just not that it felt dirty because at the end of the day I felt like I did the right thing for me and I did the right thing based on what I thought was fair, but there are definitely some aspects of the negotiating that um, I wish I didn't have to pull because it, I can understand why we had a bit of a falling out afterwards for like a year or two, Okay, you know, um, which we're totally cool now. But, um, but yeah, you know, um, yeah, our, our valuations were just so far apart. And we, we ended up negotiating in the middle-ish, but way toward my number than his. Mm-hmm. Which at the time, like, I don't think it was like a wildly unfair number. But it, if we were to do it again, I, you know, under the same exact circumstances, I would think that he would deserve more. Okay. And, and it'd be perfectly fine. Gotcha. But at the end of the day, like, it's a, it's a, it's a negotiation and, <clears throat> and I'm looking out for you know, the best that I can do as I would tell anyone else, you know, and, and through that one, it started to like develop my own philosophy around negotiating like anything, mm-hmm. you know, and this could be negotiating a car, negotiating, you know, who's buying lunch. It doesn't matter. You negotiate who buys lunch? No, I always do. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> giving like, an example. Damn. No, no, I'm not a damn. cheap ass. Um, but it's always, 
to create a win-win scenario for everybody. I think if you go into the negotiation with like, I need to find a way for you to win and for me to win and it not be, um, when I say fair, I don't mean like it has to be down the middle, 50-50 even fair. I mean like fair enough for you to be happy with what you're getting and obviously me be pretty happy with what I'm getting. Okay. And I'm always trying to get the better deal than you, but at the same time, fair enough considering whatever circumstances that we're in. So you gotta find like a healthy balance. Exactly, so there's an ethical component to it, but it's like, don't be fooled into thinking that like, this is gonna be a 50-50 deal. It's just, it's not the nature of anyone's negotiation and it's, I think if that's your approach, then you're gonna be the person that loses 99% of the time. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's generally how I approach like most negotiations. It's also really situational too. Very. You know, like I think with negotiations just as a as a whole, you can't just like kind of like blanket statement, you know, what position and like how hard to come in because it depends on what you're buying, selling, you know, whether it be a business, real estate, whatever. It's like how bad does that person want it? How bad do you need to get rid of it? So it's a leverage aspect almost. You know, and then like what are the emotions involved? And then who's involved in the negotiations to where like, if you press too hard, does that shut them down to where they're like, yo, fuck this guy, you know, yeah. because then they'll be like, I want it really bad, but I don't want to deal with you. So just as an example, I have a, a property and contract right now. And the text I got this morning was, she goes, if there was a way for me to get out of this contract, I would purely because of the seller's attorney. Because really? they're, they're they're harassing us and like just being like, just really just like unprofessional about like how they're going about everything. So it's almost like you got to walk a fine line. And then so, so for me, I'm I'm in the middle, because I need to keep my person happy, but I also need to keep their side relatively happy so that the deal keeps moving forward. Mm. You know, so like that's where like you have to tread carefully and like it becomes very, um, is it inter or introspective? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what's what's the one where like I have to be aware of like all the personalities and like the emotions that are going on between several different people. Now these meetings are normally in person, or I mean, I, I know it's COVID and maybe whatever Zoom or some shit. But most of the time, it's, most of it's over the phone via. E over. Well, when attorneys are involved, they want everything via email, so there's a paper trail. Yes, okay, because that, that's what I. I, was I try to stick to phone calls to. just so that if you say the wrong thing, you're not fucking. <laughs> documented um you yeah. know but also like but yeah it's just like especially early in the negotiations like once you have like some sort of contractual agreement where people are kind of like locked in like what we'll, what we'll get to when manny had his contract signed now there's not really a lot of room for them to like back out under certain stipulations yes gotcha but up to that point you have to tread really carefully because if you push way too hard they'll be like you know this isn't worth it like this is going to be more of a hassle then then it's worth gotcha yep which you know most certainly happens and it's like i mean for like a business the particular situation with like the hawthorne one was like there weren't a lot of options but if somebody was going to look to open a new place and they haven't done it yet why not just wait right like they don't have to have your space they can just wait something else will pop up or they'll change you know vin you know whatever they'll go to a different town they'll they'll redo their stuff because if you don't make it you know, a pleasant experience to a certain degree. It's like nobody wants to deal with that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so tread lightly, my friends. Yeah. I mean, and ish, 
ish, right? You know, yeah, it, it's it, it, yeah. It just really <clears throat> depends on the personality that that you're negotiating with. Okay, you know, I think part of you know to to expand on what Cameron was saying, you really a really good skill is being able to read people, uh, knowing when to push them a little bit, knowing when to pull back, knowing when to be gentle, when to be aggressive. Yeah, you know, when to play hardball. All those things, man. You gotta you gotta feel it out. Yeah. And usually the, these are like a, during like a meeting process, you know, so uh, when I'm negotiating, I'm always just asking just general questions before we even talk about actually negotiating because I need to understand like, who am I talking to? What kind of person? Is this going to be a person that gets really offended <clears throat> if I throw out a figure that's going to be really high or is this person going to consider it? You know, I, I need to just feel it out a little bit before we start negotiating anything. I don't know who, you know. So... A question that I got, because like I said, my DMs went crazy after the last. Yo, can we talk about that for a second? Because I didn't get one fucking DM about this stupid podcast. Are you serious? And you guys are on our group chat like, oh my God, I'm blown up. I'm like, yeah. did people forget that I'm on this I don't know, show? bro. Check your friends. Check your followers. I don't know. But Yo, my, man, you people suck. My, my Everyone DM just blew up. DM just trying to lift and fit. Please get in contact with Cam because he feels left out. I'm lonely. But this was a this was like I got like four questions about the same thing. So the selling aspect, right? When you sell, because I think there was a little bit of confusion because of a you know it was a post that was out. Which yeah, this is why I think my shit was like going off the chain because I think there was a little bit of confusion and obviously the post was taken down and everything was rectified. But when you sell your gym, right? Like what? What does that encompass? Because I think a lot of people were very confused as to like that whole process. So my thing was because I mean I don't know much about it as when it, in regards to that, right? So does the does the new business come and absorb what already exists? Like what is what are the steps and what is the process of selling the you know location whatever whatever have you? How does that work? Because yes. I got like four or five questions about the same thing. Totally. So um, <clears throat> usually. In most micro gym acquisitions, most of the time you are purchasing the assets and and taking over the lease. Gotcha. Most of the time, that's not all the time. In most cases, so, so what that means is um, they are literally buying the equipment at uh, whatever agreed price that you guys came up with, which is usually like some sort of a. Uh, depreciation number call it anywhere from 30 to 50 percent okay um and uh as long as you can transfer your lease then it just transfers could transfer over to them how your landlord wants to do that's up to the landlord so i had just signed a brand new five year and my landlord at the place that i just sold was awesome i mean he sent me a really nice email the other day about how he's sad that I'm no longer a tenant. Oh, wow. Dude, he's, he's awesome, man. And uh, I, yeah, I mean, I hope I can do work with him at some point in the future because it was such a good experience, which is really, really rare. But he's going to start a new lease with the new tenants. But it's typical for, you know, them to just absorb whatever lease that you're in as long as it's transferable. But you have to look at your lease and see if it's transferable. So before you can even talk about negotiating things, you have to check with your landlord and say, hey, can I transfer my lease? And the landlord is going to say yes or no. Mo they should say yes. If they say no, you can't, but they can start a new lease. Like, like, like th there's almost not a situation I can think of where like the landlord would say like, no, you can't go anywhere. It, it wouldn't make any sense for them. Yeah. I mean, I suppose it could happen, but... Um, <clears throat> Because they're in the business of 
renting out the space. Yeah, and they don't want it to stay empty. Yeah, money you know? is money, right? Doesn't matter if it's yeah, your money or my money. Exactly. Is. You know, and as long as the new tenant, um, you know, they'll likely interview the new tenant, make sure that they're like a good fit, blah blah blah. Uh, but yeah, we went through just like an asset purchase agreement because um, we were not selling anything that had to do with our brand. Uh, we were not uh, letting go any of our employees. Uh, they were not taking over really any of our systems because they were already an existing business that just pretty much needed a space. So our space was like, hey, this looks good enough. Can we essentially take it? So it was like a swap pretty much. Yeah, and that's how most of it goes. So when I bought um, when I bought uh, the second gym, that's what I was buying. I was buying their assets and taking over their lease. Okay. When I sold Hawthorne, it was the same thing. Okay. You could alternatively buy someone's business completely. And then that would be a bit of a different negotiation. And it would involve um, taking over their systems, their brand, if you're not going to like reset or uh, re-brand re it all. Um, you know, absorbing their employees and uh, things like that. That's not what I went through. Yeah. Uh, on the buying side or the selling side. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, I was there when you guys purchased, so I was like a huge thing for me. I was <laughs> yeah, like, everybody's going to get the fucking boot, you know what I mean? Like, you guys came in, and I already knew that it was a, it, an established brand. Yeah. So, like, for you to even absorb whatever you absorbed from XT, you know, I, that was kind of probably more or less like a, that was like a you thing. That was like, hey, I like this guy, or I like these people, I'm going to keep these guys on board. Yeah. You know? Because if it's not a good fit, obviously you got to go, right? I mean, so that was like a huge thing for me when you guys came in and, and, and bought XT and then turned it into, you know, Northeast CrossFit. Yeah, and, and I decided to go that route because I I had stayed around at Hawthorne for almost a month before I purchased it. Yes. You know, I, I, I hung around to make as many relationships with the existing community and coaches there as possible so I can really understand, like, what I'm getting myself into. Um you know, and uh, I thought that was really important. And I kind of went into that purchase, like, fully knowing that there's a pretty good possibility that, like, everyone's going to go down. You know, which I considered as part of the the, the negotiations for it. Mm -hmm. You know, because uh, the, the negotiations were, were quite pleasant um, buying the Hawthorne location. Um, I thought that uh, it was an overall pretty fair deal across yeah. And normally how these things go is they go by like some sort of valuation of like what your assets are worth depreciated plus, uh, you know, three years of profit it is the most typical valuation tool. It's not fitting for every situation, um, but, but that's pretty typical. But that's like the that's like the standard algorithm for that. Yeah, it's pretty standard okay. for um, micro gyms. I think if you're more established, you can you can. You could get closer to five years if you're really established and like the the new owner sees a lot of potential, but but that's uh, probably a little less common. But yeah, the, the depreciated assets, three years of profit, and then how you calculate your profit is really important. So a lot of uh, micro gym owners or affiliate owners, they think that what they pay themselves is profit, and that's not how you calculate profit. Uh, profit is- Take what's, notes, people. Profit is what is left over after you pay yourself for the duties that you perform. Okay. So for example, if you coach 20 classes a week, you should be paying yourself 
what 20 classes a week is supposed to give or like what you would pay someone to do 20 classes a week. That should be accounted for in what you pay yourself as part of your party salary. That's not a profit. It's gotcha. a fucking job. Yes. You know, um, which a lot of people are like, oh, well, I pay myself five grand and I, and I, and I coach 30 classes a week and have 10 PTs. Like, well, my friend, I'm not, I'm not buying a, a fucking gym or, or a business. I'm, I'm buying a job. Like, I don't want to ro like roll up and only make this much money because I'm the one doing the work. Yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. when you're buying a business and you're t saying, saying that it's turnkey, that means that you don't have anything other than like a managerial type of role. Um, so that's pretty important. And then also like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a general overview of, of how you would approach that part of the negotiations. I also have another question that I got about six or seven of the same fucking question. Jeez, how many DMs did you get? I'm a popular guy, bro. What do you yes, want me to man. tell you? Yo, Jay's got how many, how many followers <coughs> you got? 20,000, 40,000? Uh, I'm in the 40s now. Damn, well, bro. I'm grown, well, baby. I'm grown. I posted Damn. a reel the other day and it got over 6,000 views. Yeah, so actually, you're pretty up. good with the reels, bro. So over 9,000. You're actually getting pretty good with this shit, man. I know. I got a good one coming tonight. Nice. Yes. So a question that I that was was frequently asked is, is there a number right where the gym starts to become like super profitable? Because there's like this myth, like oh, if you have this amount of number of members, not that a member thing. It's not a member thing. Yeah, because <clears throat> I got like well, <clears throat> it's not it's not the primary metric. If, if it's I, your I've, primary metric, then to me you're still like like you're an amateur. If I was going to primary. I was going to say you can use it as like a starting step, you know, to kind of like get somewhere, but there's so many other factors because I mean, if we're just doing it based on members, if you have a thousand members, but you charge 20 bucks yeah. versus so that's like an urban 300 lender. members and you charge 500, you know, like yeah, one yeah. is way bigger than the other, but so, so members don't really matter. Cause that's and like, like what thing. is, what are your expenses? You know, like what do you pay your coaches? What are your, what's your overhead with like rent and utilities and all that stuff. It's like, there's a lot more that goes into it than just so, how many members. So what would you say the metric would be then to kind of determine how profitable your business has become? I Decide mean, what type of business and style you want to run. Like I mean, this is something that we've talked about so many times is like for micro gyms, do you want to play the volume game or the quality game? Mm. Right. So a higher ticket item or service versus a lower ticket service. Yeah. Because and then the lower ticket would mean that you need more members to meet that number versus the opposite for a quote unquote higher quality service. Because that's often where the tussle is, right? It's volume over quality, correct? Yeah. I believe a lot of people believe like, oh, I have X amount of members, right? And so then this, in my mind, creates this level of success. But in essence, that's not the true metric of success. Yeah. It's what it's the service you provide, what you charge. Well, so do financial you want, success. Do you want financial to success? Yeah, yeah. we're not talking about, about like yeah, because you know, let's all be honest. We're talking about dollars and cents here. Yeah, right? if we're going to yeah. talk strictly about financial stuff. You know, uh, as a general like rule, like between twenty and thirty percent profitability is like pretty good for a micro gym. Okay, if people say they're over thirty percent, I would say they're probably full of full shit, of shit. Okay. And, and they're counting their own like their own like take home pay. Yeah, or, or, or rather their own salary, like or like their job. I'm saying like actually like after you pay yourself your salary or whatever you pay yourself, like what is left over? You know, if you have 20, 30%, that's, that's pretty damn good. Especially if, uh, if uh, you have some pretty good gross numbers. So uh, what, what would you say then is 
the most valuable if you had to narrow it down to one metric to look at to kind of step the, the, the average revenue per member to yep. me is like one of the most important metrics any micro gym owner should be keeping track of so um the average revenue per member is just how much each member on average is worth or what they're paying so for example it's pretty comical that when you're going through these negotiations um you think you may know how much each member is worth based on their current prices you know they're like oh i'm 200 you know all my memberships are 200 dollars a month so you're like all right so your arm is 200 but then when you really look at the books you're like oh well this person's discounted oh this person has a free membership you didn't tell me about oh this person's on a military discount this person on teacher discount and then you find out the arm is actually like 125 uh. and then all of a sudden like that changes a lot of numbers you know now it doesn't fucking matter how many people you have your like your average revenue per member sucks and that if you're gonna buy an existing gym that has a really low uh, uh average revenue per member you're absorbing a clientele that very likely does not value high quality service and that was one of the biggest lessons i learned when i bought hawthorne which wasn't overly surprising but was definitely like a big eye-opening experience you know because when i bought the gym they're like oh our membership is this much and then once i got my hands on the numbers i go oh but your revenue per member is this much that's fine i got some work to do but then when i came in and like the 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 idea of raising prices before i even bought the gym i think like a massive percentage of the members quit before i even you know, it's something started like I was going to absorb like 50 members or something, 60. Mm. By the time I was in there, it was like maybe under 30. Really? I think it was 26. Yeah. It, it was like under 30 by the time I went in there. Like they didn't even want to give me a chance. They were just like, no, you're raising. Like they didn't want to hear it. Then, yep, that's it. I'm out. You know. Damn. Yeah. yeah. Not even like, hey, let me see what it's like for a month. Yeah. You know, and, and why do you feel that people do that? Like there's people don't like change. I think that's the biggest thing. People are afraid of change, and especially like, you know, people hear rumors about uh, how you operate and things like that. And I think uh, maybe the maybe my reputation is more along the lines of like I run a more like serious thing, yeah. And I don't run like a clubhouse. It's a little bit more like serious. Um, I, yeah, I mean, that was the first thing I noticed. <laughs> like, is that there's rules you got to show up on time, shifting culture, and yeah. I think that that is a huge part of like i think the the business aspect correct so if you and like cam was talking about this last podcast that you know like he used the underclassmen the yeah, yeah. to the senior you know um when you create a culture some people don't like that shift right and some people are like you know what fuck that this guy's about his business he's very you know he has routine and he's this type of person i don't like that shit i'm jumping ship it's like, you know, it's you see it in college, right? Yeah. A, a coach, a new coach takes over. People put in transfers like, I don't want no part of this shit. Yeah, what's you lose recruits. Yeah. I mean, everything, dude. Yeah, it, it everything can, changes. It can, uh, what's kind of sad about it is it's usually them listening to their friends and <clears throat> not even listening to, like, the actual, like, person that's going to, you know, own or operate or whatever. Yeah. It's usually, like, your friend said something that they heard from somebody. I knew a guy. Who knew a guy <laughs> and say so that and guy's her and Veronica Vaughn got it on. No, no, they didn't. No, they didn't. But you can imagine if they did, right? 
But yeah, no. I, I mean, I also think you're right about that. I think it's a lot of that hearsay kind of creates that that conundrum. You know, it's like, oh man, I, I heard this guy's a dick, so I'm I'm out of here. because yeah. I don't even want to deal with it. And I always say this, right? You meet people in different stages in life. Okay, like, so I may meet Cam, and maybe Cam was not the guy he is today, but I met him five years ago, and he wasn't who he presently is. I can't go off somebody else's interaction with that person because that was that was them and I'm a completely different person. So I always use my personal interaction. I always give people, I always say this, I always give people a decent amount of time for them to prove to me exactly who they are. I will, I will never go off a hearsay because everybody comes in with their own um, biases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're innocent until proven guilty, exactly. right? Like yeah. you can't go into it assuming certain things and then yeah. because then you almost have like your own confirmation bias that they are guilty. Yes. Cause then like you start looking for all the things that you see is why he's a dick or why you don't like him. Yeah. Because that's all you're looking for. Yes. You know, no, a hundred percent on that. And I think a lot of people need to, um, not go over here saying, just kind of deal with the person for themselves to see exactly where this person is. And, you know, maybe it's a good fit. Maybe it's not. But at least give the person an opportunity to prove themselves to be whatever was touted about them. Like, oh, you know, this guy's this, this guy's that. Oh, not really, because in my dealing, he was X, Y, and Z. Yeah. You know? And that goes into, like, the business aspect. I think, you know, a, a reputation will precede you, you know? And, like, I've known Manny for a, a decent amount of time. I, I don't know him. I, I didn't know him as well before as I know him now. And I'm like, this is kind of the Manny I remember. <laughs> like... Just, yeah. you know, but I, I, I think I'm, um, now I know you a little bit more intimately because of the time that we spend like recording and me being in the gym with you and just, you just giving me like little bits and pieces of advice. And, um, I, I've been around for a lot of the, like the change, you yeah. know, and I've learned a lot, you know, and, uh, I take notes, bro. I take mental notes like all the time, man. Like if I hang out with you guys and you guys are like talking, um, you know, life stuff, if we, if we're talking financial stuff, I'm, I'm taking little tidbits, man, because, I think a lot of people don't want to humble themselves to to be in a space where they can learn. You know what I mean? I think because we're adults doesn't mean you have to stop growing. If you're not around people that are improving you as a person on all three aspects, physically, mentally, spiritually, then you need to change your friend group and you need to change the, the people you surround yourselves with. And I think a lot of people go more so off of like, you know, going back to the hearsay stuff. It's like. Or either that or, or pride and ego. I mean, dude, ego's a motherfucker. I, a lot I, I will tell won't. you, man, people have egos when it comes to buying and selling. Like they, they, they don't want to, you know, I understand like not showing your old, like all your cards, but no one wants to show any sort of vulnerability. No one wants to show any sort of like weakness. And instead, like if that's the, if that's the route you're going to go, you're going to make a lot of mistakes because you don't want to, you know, suck up your pride and, and have and ask for help. People don't want to ask for help. They 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 want to be the person that said, I did it all by myself. Mm-hmm. I bought this gym all by myself. I did it all by myself. But then the second that shit goes sideways, the first motherfuckers bitching and complaining about who knows what. And it really comes down to like a lot of the times your ego got in the way. You didn't ask for help. You didn't ask for questions. You know, it, and it doesn't have to be that way at all. Mm. Yeah. Duly noted. Now, 
you mentioned something about being um, present in the gym, like before you bought it. Like, is that something you suggest to any um, person who wants to buy a gym? Yes. So here's my opinion on buying a gym. Honestly, I would not recommend anyone buying an existing gym. Oh, why is that? Because you are absorbing their culture. You are, which is a lot of work. It is way more work. I knew when I did it, it was going to be a lot of work, but it ended up being way more work. You know, going back to Cameron's reference with like the four years to the underclassmen and, you know, become the new seniors. You know, that, it, it's, that analogy is a big hit. Dude, huh? it's so yeah, good. It is, dude. I, it's I, great. I will say that I was listening to the podcast and it, and it came back full circle too, which was, I mean, that is the perfect analogy, dude. Like spot on. Yeah. You have to work double to earn trust, especially if it's a big culture shift and not a small one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It, it's to me, I, the only situation that seem appropriate to buy an existing gym is if you're already a part of the gym. You're either a member or you're a coach and you like understand the gym, the culture, you know how to like lead it into the future best. I think that's a beautiful situation. If someone from inside the gym wants to buy it, I think that's the best situation to buy a gym. Otherwise, start from the ground up. Um, or if you're gonna buy an existing gym, you, you gotta go into it with the mindset of like, I'm firing everyone, every client, every coach, I'm cleaning fucking house. Start fresh. Which I would, I would recommend that for a, a lot of people. Yeah, I would go into it and saying, I'm not going to absorb any memberships, but you can opt back in because now you know that the people that opt back in are going to be more open minded and willing to, um, willing to be a part of your culture. And then it's your job as the new operator to make sure that people understand your culture, your mission, your values, and the things that you're about. The more you put them out there to the world, the more people can buy into it. If you keep it to yourself, well then obviously you can't expect that people are gonna have any sort of buy-in. Gotcha. So it's important that you know you get on your social media. You know, I've been trying to put something out every single day because I realized that like not a lot of people know really what I'm about. You know, I only post things here and there. Um, but you know, I think it's important that people actually know the things that I care about. So you can you can buy into my philosophies, my values. So when you join my gym or, or want to work with me or, or any extension of me, you kind of know what you're getting yourself into. You know, you. I hope by now people know when you join with these CrossFit, it's not just like, you know, a CrossFit gym that you go and do group workout and you high five. It's, yeah, we do those things but we really actually care about the coaching relationship. Yeah. I actually had an email exchange with Cameron yesterday that on our contact form, I literally put the question, you know, something like, oh, what was it? It was, um, is it more important for you to have a relationship with your coach or just to get a workout in? Was the initial like intake form question because we know right away, someone's like, yo, I just wanna get a workout in. We know chances are, I mean, we'll still have the consult with you, but we know chances are like, if that's your only prerogative, we will turn you down. You guys have an intake form. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. How, many, how many how many gyms do you think do that? I think now it's pretty common. Pretty common. I don't think it's uh, like I don't think thorough. It's I think it's common, but but I think it's a very basic like name, email, contact form. Yeah, yeah it's, it's more never... just like put your info so that we can reach out to you and and chat. Ours is like seven questions, well, right? Ours is to schedule a coaching call. Yeah. So they're discovery calls. So it's like 
we collect a lot of background information. Yeah, we, I just want to know who I'm talking to. And and before I hop on the phone with you, I read through your form and there's, you know, not a lot, but there's like four or five questions on there. And I can get a general sense of like who I'm speaking to, what their personality type is going to be. So then I also know how to like steer the conversation. Well, and what energy is my voice going to be in? Like, you know, because if it's like really like mundane, like one word, mm-hmm. I know they're not going to be a really lively person, you know, so I need to fucking tone that shit down because they're going to be like, nope, this guy's turning me off. Yeah. Um, ah, so you guys kind of have like a personality type that you look for to be in the gym? Not, not a, in a way, I yeah. guess. Like, it's not like you have to be the super bubbly person, but like. You got to be more of like an open mindset. It is yeah. kind of like what we're looking for. Are you open or, or, or sorry, are, are you growth or fixed? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, that's it, the, that's the. Yeah, that's way to put it. Yeah, they're more like bigger generalizations about personality. Like we, we likely won't work with someone who doesn't believe that things will work for them. And I think some people may disagree and be like, well, you know, as a gym is your job to do that. And I would disagree and say, well, we're not that gym. We're, we're not the gym that is going to take a fixed mindset person and get them to growth. If they if they're open to wanting to change that, then we're the place which to me like growth and fixed around a spectrum is not either or you, you kind of fall somewhere on the spectrum. If they're mm-hmm. fixed on being fixed. Exactly. Which usually like if you're all the way on that fixed side, like really deep end, like you literally don't believe things will work. Yeah. And it's, we will not waste any time trying to convince you. Otherwise we will wait till, till you've suffered enough and you're now you're ready for change. Yeah. Because there's so many more people out there that need our help that just don't know that we exist. So we'd rather put our energy and resources into finding the people that like need us that need us. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's where it's like really different for, for us than most other I about to say, is CrossFit that gyms. What makes NECF is, NECF is I kind of like our slogan that I say on like the calls is like, you know, we do our best to individualize everything from start to finish. And that starts with this call. I was like, you can go try a class at any other gym and call them. And I can bet you with pretty much full certainty that most gyms are just going to say, yeah, just come try a class. And I know this because we did that. We used to do that. That used to be just like the way that it was, but we had to take it like a step further. So like we have this call, like I'm vetting you, you're vetting me. Like it's part of the relationship. Are, are we a, are we a good fit for each other? Because if not, then like go to, go Sorry. do something else. Go to another gym. I can recommend places, you know, or you know that might be better suited for you. And then we do you know the initial um, foundations, you know, so that it's more individualization. The classes are smaller, so then we can still get individualization inside of a group, you know. So start to finish, it's as much as we can do. I mean, I'm sure that there's still room to like individualize it even more, but yeah, you know, this, this seems to be working out pretty well. Cause when we come back to like the metrics and stuff, Manny and I were talking about our metrics and, um, and where they were a year versus ago. a year ago. And then, I mean, I know if, if we really dug and looked at some like OG numbers, we are like, what the fuck? Yeah. You know, but so we do a lot of the, we do the metrics monthly. So we're, we're always on top of trends. So obviously like if we have like a couple months in a row that are like going negative from where we were, like what's going on? How can we address this and like get on top of it? But you know, we're trying to keep the 
the positive trends. Yeah, and and also like uh, going back to total members and why it's not like a great metric. So 2021, we had more members at this point. We have more members. Really? However. Significantly. Yeah. Not even like yeah. 10. We had like more over members. Over 100. No, no, no. At this point last year, no. Maybe like 30. Oh, last. Okay. No, no, yeah, no. Yeah. No, we're not talking pre, pre-pandemic. Yeah, we had a, you know, which usually like we would think we would be on the up. But our average revenue per member was significantly higher. So that means we're able to give higher quality service to less people and it resulted in a better financial gain for the gym overall. Okay. Which if if it's a better financial gain for the gym overall, it benefits not just me, everybody, everyone involved in this, Cameron, all the coaches, you know, and obviously the members for getting a really awesome service. So we're able to level up our service, you know, through uh, nutrition, um, personal training, and pretty much anything that they need in terms of like a fitness and health service, we've been able to really leverage. And uh, it's been working out, honestly, a lot better. I'd rather work with less people and give them a better service than more than more people and give them like a mediocre service because that's what everyone else does. Yeah. Fuck, I, I mean, don't want to do that. That's something that you always reiterate. Yeah. Um, I think that's what differentiates us from them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I always, I, I, that always becomes a point of uh, uh, like a conversation piece every or every other episode that we <laughs> yeah. focus on the, the person, the man, person, you know, not just having, because I remember we were talking about like uh, retention, right? Uh, mm-hmm. we, we got into that uh, mm-hmm. uh, a few podcasts back and just, if you could guess from the minute you walked in here, how many of the original members do you still have? Well, define when is original. Yeah. Oh, I, I, How I mean, far back I, are we going? Yeah. Because uh, I have everyone reten- inside the first year or first two years. Because I, I can tell you our. I'll um, say like first two years. Maybe about a dozen. Yeah. yeah. So our, our average. Um, Length of engagement. Yeah. Is. Uh, 18, 20 months. No. It's, mm-hmm. it's in the 20s. Oh, okay. I think it's like 28 months or something like oh, that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I was which, also. Which. You have to take that with a grain of salt, and this would be the case for most areas that are similar to like us in Eastchester or, or just Westchester. It's like people move. I was going to say, you that. know, so like twenty eight months doesn't really sound like like man, these are lifers because that's just a little over two years. Mm-hmm. But like we live in an area where people have to move for work, yes. and they're not moving down the block; they're moving to a different state where like it's just not an option. You know, this would be very different where if if I dropped into you know, Podunk, Ohio, and did a evaluation of their gym. I'm sure that their average length of engagement was yeah. forever. Yeah, yeah. They, they because call. those people are that's that's their town. They're not moving. They have a just a, a different landscape of their clientele. Yeah, because they refer to Westchester as like a commuter county. People come here for work because there's hubs here. You have like yeah. white plains. Yeah. work, New school. Rochelle, once work, it's school, done, and once it's done, they yeah. leave. Yeah, so that affects the turnaround. So yeah. That's actually a, a valid point because um, I and, know people uh, were asking that question. Yeah, and, that, and that's going to be true with like any stat that you come up with. Yeah. Take it with a grain of salt because there's there's always so much um, subjectivity mm-hmm. to the how you got that number. You know, like just like Manny was talking about, like calculating the average revenue per member. It's like, how did you get that number? How did you come up with this valuation? You know, because there's more than one way to skin a cat. So your way may be different than mine, 
now let's let's figure it out mm. and then like is there a reason for you know why this number was this so like in our case we had this um uh, debate when we got when we closed hawthorne we obviously lost some members so i had originally included those members as part of our loss retention, yeah for retention and then manny and i went back and forth and he was like you know don't include those because of you know the sale of the gym blah, blah 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 and you know we came to like an understanding as to like why the numbers would be that way gotcha but on the flip end if somebody wanted to be really nitpicky and like let's say that manny wanted to sell east chester or something like that and was like doing a deep dive into our books you'd be like well according to this trend you know like you went from this to this like that's a a, a big drop you know yeah, like it would look like a discrepancy this. yeah you know so that's where like yeah you have to look at stuff and be able to explain it so it can't just be just what you were in the mood for that day gotcha. of like writing down on a spreadsheet. Yeah. Mm. Cause there may become a time when like you do have to like be able to prove exactly what happened. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and I think this is a good segue into like selling your gym. Like what does that take? You yeah. know? And like the number one thing is like, you need clean books, man. You, you can't have these hodgepodge Like I'm going to, I'm going to make up numbers and think that I'm going to sell to someone. But before you even get there, the first thing anyone should do, whether you're buying or selling a gym is sign a non-disclosure agreement, uh, an NDA. All right, because um, it's really important that when you're sharing like really sensitive information about you know your gym's numbers and the expenses and, and all the incomes, that's something you don't want the public to know. You know, we we kind of talked about um, what do you call it, Cameron? The uh, paper napkin math. Back, yeah, back in the napkin math. Yeah, back in the napkin math. Then it's um, you know, it, it's back just not for. It's really not for people to know it. I think it's kind of rude. So signing, signing an NDA is really important as like your very first step before even talking about numbers, mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 you know, showing people your, your, uh, tax history and all those other things. Those are very sensitive numbers that you don't like, why would you want everyone to know them? I also think that, that gives you as a, as a buyer, a little bit of leverage, right? Depending on how they yeah. do business. If somebody's books and the way that they keep track of stuff is a mess. Oh well, yeah, you kind of know what kind of you know operation you're stepping into. <laughs> so yeah. you kind of Whereas, like, if pace. some yeah, if something is super meticulous, like there's a higher likelihood that like the business that you're buying or you know the assets and stuff like that, like you're probably going to be better off. You know, gotcha. like it's it's the same way when we go look at houses. Like, if a house looks disheveled from the street, like the landscaping is a mess and like whatever, I'm willing to bet that there's tons more shit in Inside, the house because. Yeah. And this is assuming that it's not a vacant house. Like, yeah. somebody's living there. I'm like, because you didn't care about the outside, what people actually see, I guarantee you, you don't care about the inside. Yeah. So plumbing is probably a mess. Everything that you've done is probably, you know, half-assed. You probably paid somebody super cheap to come in and do it. But it's the same thing for, like, the gym. It's like, you don't have anything to show or to keep track of to be able to demonstrate that. Like, I bet it's a mess. Yeah. So step one. Without even knowing that. I don't even have to set foot so in it. So step one, NDA. NDA. Step, step two. two, make sure you have clean books, you know, so with, with clean books, you want to make sure that, you know, you have profit and loss statements that are easy to follow. Um, you want to break down where your income comes from as well, because that's going to be part of the negotiation. So for example, if uh, you're showing like really positive income, but it all comes from like, let's say personal training yeah, and you're selling a business that has a lot of personal training which we know most personal training clients follow their coach wherever they, they go, go. Yes. wherever they go. 
And if you're planning on not leaving your coaches there or yourself, when you leave, guess who comes with them? That, that income. Stream, yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, that, that, that all has to be kind of accounted for. Gotcha. Um, because it's like, oh, well, you know, 50% of your revenue is personal training and that 50% of revenue is going to leave. Well, that counts for something, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so, so that's pretty important. Um, three. three. Uh, I said number three. Yeah, I know where so we're going. We have to know that uh, as an owner, the less you do, the more valuable your gym is. So the less day-to-day things you do, the more you can present this thing as more turnkey. Got you. So, um, for example, at Hawthorne, I didn't, I don't want to say I didn't do anything. I did a lot of things, but there were more like jobs that I would kind of just do because I'm a, because I'm the owner of the business, you know, just day-to-day like operations well, not even day-to-day operations really because Cameron does that. I'm more of like the vision, the metrics, and just like managing the, the uh, team. Um, so when I was approached about buying it, it's like, all right, well, you get to come in here and not really do much, but what you were doing before, yeah. you know, you're not taking over any classes. It's fully staffed and, you know, and these are what the numbers currently look like, which good thing. Like we keep, very, very clean books. Excuse me. Was that a fucking sneeze? Fucking sneeze, I'm sorry. Jay, that was the cutest sneeze I've ever heard. That was adorable. No, stop it. God. Let's get (laughs) continue. I'm sorry. Jeez. Um, I rarely, I've never sneezed on the podcast. (laughs) That was funny. And he's farted a couple times. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Titan snores. Titan snores. He's pretty good too. Um, But yeah, I mean, Oh, and, and the very last thing is, and this is not really more so for the seller. This is more so for the buyer. And I think this is like <laughs> extremely, extremely, extremely important for the buyer. Know what you're getting yourself into. And, and we've we've touched on it lightly a few times. But if you're looking to buy a gym, it's not good enough to do like just like a quick walkthrough. Like I stayed at Hawthorne for a month okay. before I, I bought it. So when I bought it, I was fully aware of things that happened. I knew the streets flooded when it was really heavy rain Mm -hmm. because I was there. They told me and I was there. I was able to see like, yeah, water doesn't really get in. We're okay. You know, um, I knew that some of the equipment wasn't in the condition that I liked. Yeah. I was, I was buying it anyways and I knew I wasn't going to use it. And I knew I needed new equipment because truth be told, the equipment wasn't, wasn't the greatest, not, not all of it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and um, I didn't, I didn't know that the platforms were like glued to the ground. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's like one of those things where know. it's like, I knew I didn't like the platforms. I had assumed that they were nailed to the ground. <laughs> That's what normal people do, <laughs> but they were glued to the point where we literally couldn't pry it off the floor, so we had to mat over it. Gotcha. You know, but at the same time, like that's my fault. My fault. I could have asked them, "Hey, how are these things built into the floor?" You know. They would have said, oh, they're glued. I would have been like, oh, that's a problem, right? So it's extremely important that as the buyer, it is your responsibility exclusively to do your due diligence. You cannot expect the owner to think of the problems for you. It's un, it's unreal. It's an unrealistic request. It's There's no legal obligation to do so. Yeah. And it's like generally kind of weird. It's like, why would the seller think, think of the problems that you you may run into it's strange you should be the ones asking the questions like think about it like any sort of purchase if, if you're buying a house 
Do you right. think that the sellers have to tell you if the basement floods sometimes in right. very particular situations? They're not going to tell you. So. No. Nope. Or if there's like asbestos behind the walls, even if they know it, why do they have to tell oh, you? Yeah. Like it's undisturbed. There's nothing like it's, it's whatever. Like you got to know that. Yeah. This thing was built in like 1920. Chances are it's fucking asbestos. Like that's, that's pretty fucking normal. Yeah. But it's like, you know, if you decide to break down the wall and it's there and you have to abate it, like those are questions you have to ask mm -hmm. is, Hey, do you happen to know? And if they don't know or whether they know or not, doesn't even matter. Then you got to do your due diligence and get someone there to inspect it and then say yes. And then, you know, then you go from there with a the negotiation. Yeah, you always need a second set of eyes. I've, you, I've noticed that in anything I've ever in, purchased. In anything. You know, you can't buy a used car online and then complain that, like, there's things that don't work. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't tell me. It's like, well, you didn't test drive it, man. What, what do you want me to do? Yeah. Nor did you ask. Yeah, you didn't yeah. ask. You know, so it, it's, you know, you got to do your due diligence and uh, not rely on the seller to think of the problems for you. Yeah. Especially if there's any sort of, like, time crunch or unique situations. I think that's extremely important. Which in like the reality of it is, is like a lot of times in like for like a commercial real estate stuff is they'll do like a 30 to 45 day due diligence period. That's your time window to basically do what you need to do to have, you know, um, an inspector come out, um, an environmental study or, you know, whatever you need to be done to the space. You have that allotted time. And then if during that time something comes up, that's when the attorney would step in and be like, we found this, this, and this. Now we had come back to the negotiation table yeah. on like a price. Or if everything's good, you just keep moving forward. Yeah. And it's similar to a house when, you know, people put like an inspection contingency on their offer. You know, that means that we're going to come in and like have an inspection done, stuff like that. But like. Because, because once you close. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. It's your problem. It, yeah. And if, done. if somebody wasn't there to look out for you, that that's not my problem. Yeah. That someone on your team either didn't exist or didn't do what they were supposed to Fucking be doing. Drop the ball, yeah. you know, and that's, you know, sadly I see it all the time with people get into situations that they just, they didn't know what they were fucking getting into. Yep. And, and that's yeah. the problem when, when Manny was talking about the shortcuts, it's like, would it have really cost you what an inspector to come out seven, five to 700 bucks, you or, know, like, or, or even your pride. It's like, dude, ask questions be vulnerable like it's okay man you know you can ask you think for that help. vulnerability plays a role in the negotiations yeah because i think especially with males they're not willing to show that they everyone everyone wants to win and the more alpha someone uh kind of shows the less likely they are to be like flexible in anything yeah so um you know it, it's not a very it can be a pretty dangerous um, mentality if you don't have experience with negotiations and things like that. Copy. Because then you don't know when to like dial it back because now you're just letting. Or when to turn it on. Yeah. You know, you're, you're just it's letting like ends. animal mode go the entire time. Yeah. Because if you're, if you're too soft, then they walk all over you. Yeah. And then like you don't, and then you try to, it's like a substitute teacher kind of thing. Yeah. Like <laughs> if you don't set authority a analogy. little bit, you know, right. Right from the beginning, those kids are going to maul you. They're going to, they're going to run class. Yeah, and I think that's why a lot of males, in particular, when it comes to negotiations, they you know they try to get really macho with their negotiations. But at the end of the day, like negotiations is just a game of leverage. 
That's literally like the golden rule of any negotiation is leverage. And how do you get leverage? Well, for one, you have to know the situation. Know it more than the other person thinks. Do lots of homework, a ton of homework. So for example, if someone's gonna, if someone wants to buy your gym, know what other options exist around you. Are there yeah. other gyms for sale? Are there other commercial spaces in the area that are for sale? If the answer is no, or if the answer is yes, now you're like, okay, what does the timeline look like? Mm -hmm. Do they need it right now or could they afford to wait? Because we know even if there is spaces available, that very slim chance that you'll be able to move in. Yeah, that turnaround time yeah. is smaller. Yeah, it's, you know, we're talking months and months and months if you're lucky, you know, and that's assuming there's not massive build out, which just to go back on buying a gym, it also makes sense to buy an existing gym um, also in the situation that um, you, you kind of really need a place and the gym's already done for you, right? So that means it's already permitted. You don't have to do anything. You just get to move in because when you buy a place, chances are like you may not be able to negotiate uh, your build out, which build out we're talking can be, you know, small 10,000 or as big as like 100,000. For example, mm. Uh, in, in in East Chester, we had a uh, I forget like a fifty thousand um, uh, dollar build out um, agreement built into the lease. So like they would cover up to fifty thousand dollars worth of build out. That's typical ish, but if your place needs a hundred thousand dollars worth of work, which is very possible, then it may be worth it to buy another gym. Uh, right, but. If that's your situation, know that you're going to pay a premium for something that's already done for you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 you buy a project house. 101 people. It's going to be cheaper than a house that's turnkey. Mm -hmm. I mean, because you now have to go do the legwork and get that shit done. Yeah. You know, yeah, the so same with a business. Like if you're going to go in and like the rig is already mounted, it's already painted, there's equipment. Everything's situated That's a for huge you. part of like yeah. the operation. And it may cost you more. Right, it may. It, well, that's what I'm saying. Is, yeah. is like you're gonna pay a premium for it. Yeah, it, it may it may cost you more to build out and get everything new. You know, instead of like you know buying a uh, a a an existing gym for we'll call it 150k. You know, it may literally cost you like 200k between equipment and build out, and then time and fees, opportunity costs. You know, we're, we're talking. You might be over 200 out the gate, and easily. months before you're yeah, and actually months. able to. Yeah. Start making money. <laughs> yes. And now your opportunity costs are, are just down the drain. There's a lot so, of stuff so, that people don't know. Yeah. So these are all part of the negotiation. And if you're the seller, that's now leverage. Gotcha. You know, now you pretty much get to say like, oh, well, I know the situation. You know, And then as the buyer, you got to be careful with hardball. Very careful. Because now it's like, how do you gain negotiation? You know, how do you gain leverage back? The answer is like, probably. If the seller is that savvy and knows that much stuff, your your best bet is to be very nice and play ball. Tr I would try to get on the heartstrings, play play the fucking heartstrings. Gotcha. You know, play play uh, play the heartstrings and play nice and just keep rolling with that. But there's also like the other side of that too. The buyer could have a lot of leverage if the seller's in a bad situation. That means the seller's like showing explicit interest that they want out yeah because now you ask questions to get the right answers and this goes for both the buyer and the seller you phrase questions in an indirect way to get you the answer 
or lead you to an answer that gives you leverage. So for example, if the if you suspect that maybe the gym isn't doing financially well, you would uh, probably phrase questions as like, why do you wanna sell? They may say, ah, you know, I wanna go do this different project. Why do you wanna do a different project if this thing is doing really well and creating passive income for yourself? Mm -hmm. They have to answer you at some point. It's like, why would you wanna sell if this is passive income, right? Why would, if it's passive, why would any seller want to eagerly sell their gym if it's passive and it's so great? That's the fucking dream. You either get yeah. bought out for more than it's worth or it's passive and you sit back. That's it. So now- I mean, I could I could say that, you know, some I could see somebody wanting to sell it if they wanted to use that capital into a bigger project. Yeah. Because we see it, I mean, investors do it all the time is the property will be cash flowing or they're making their money on it. They, but they, they need to pull. The they need to pull yeah. money out so that they can go do something even bigger that makes even more money. Yeah. So 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 it's yeah. yeah. So it's leveraging that, right? It's like, right. well, how bad do you need to leave? How quickly do you need to leave? How many how many people are in the market for this thing? Yeah. You know. So now you just want to phrase the questions correctly without being overly like aggressive and really obvious. Once you start being obvious about your questions, then people smell it. Gotcha. You know. So so you you ask them in a way that is like a pure curiosity, um, and then you develop your game plan from there um because the valuations especially in micro gyms is shit most people's micro gyms are not worth shit you know your assets three times profits which are like for most people like really hard to even um really hard to guarantee because of how this is like a relationship business like what happens as soon as you change hands right people just leave that's the nature of this shit yeah, it's not so, like a so, pizza so no one can guarantee yeah you, you can't guarantee that profit um, unless you are set more like a franchise and like there's no real relationships and people, you know, like don't give a shit who's coaching, like just taking over. Yeah. Is really or if rare. there's even coaches, if it's like a, you know, planet fitness type thing yeah. where like you're just coming in as the owner, but like plug and play, plug and play. Yeah. You know, all that's changing is the name on the paper. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So leverage up, man, do, do, do a lot of homework. And at the end of the day, like I believe that both people, should leave the negotiation table happy enough. Maybe, yeah. you know, I, I think it's normal for one side to not feel like they got the better deal. Yeah. But they shouldn't walk away feeling like, man, this was really bad. But if that happens, then, then that's your that's your fault if that's how you feel, right? So, so mm -hmm. if you feel like you got a really bad deal, it's probably your fault. You know, but at the end of the day, like I know when I negotiate, I will look back at it and uh, say like, you know, like, yeah, I've got the better deal, but they got this too, which I think was really good because the alternative like was worse. It's how I look. It's like, if the alternative was worse, then then I feel pretty good about it. Um, yeah, because, you know, like I said, me personally, like I think uh a really good negotiation book is, is uh, Never Split the Difference. Don't know if you guys ever read it. I have that book, actually, yes. It's, it's really good. They, they, It's about... Um, they gave that to me in interview and inter, um, interrogations. Yeah, I was actually going to say it's yes. it's about hostage uh, negotiations. Mm -hmm. But the principles are, like, really similar. You know, um, there's a really good line in there that uh, he used in almost every hostage negotiation when they asked for, like, a crazy amount of money. That's a lot of money. How 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 am I gonna how am I gonna get that much money? Yeah. Cause then the 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 the, the uh, what would you call it? like the terrorists would be like, well, I, I don't know, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> how am I gonna get that much money? I think that's such a fantastic question to ask. If someone asks for a way more, hey man, that's a lot of money, and I'm sure it's worth it, but how am I gonna get that much money? Yeah. 
you know, and then you got to come back. Like, I don't know. I guess figure it out, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but it's a cool, it's a, it's a cool negotiation question just to get like the wheels turning and, and things like that. So it's a really cool book to learn about negotiations and, and uh, little things like that. It gets a little boring at some points in the book, but yeah, I mean, but uh, that's, it's a great book though. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, very cool book. Um, but yeah, man, at the end of the day, man, don't cut corners, get a fucking lawyer, get a CPA, get a real estate agent, get, get your team in order, pay the extra money, do your due diligence, inspect things, ask questions and expect that like shit's still not going to, there's going to be shit to yeah, just it's not find gonna out. Be perfect. Yeah. And then you just roll with it, man. Cause at the end of the day, like it's whatever that, that that's how I look at all this stuff. But like, the, the shit, day, like, the shit that comes up, if you have that team in place is going to be so much less yeah, yeah. than had you done it. Just guns blaze and roll the dice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's going to be a lot less, lot less, lot fewer surprises. Yeah. Especially from like the legal stuff, man. Yeah. Like, dude, you, you don't want the town to shut you down. Trust me, man. 50, 60 grand with the lawyers and, and, and all sorts of fees and distress. And then um, having to build stuff to, to, to build to get out, it to fix it, to code. To and, code. Yeah, yeah, man. It, it's, it's no joke, man. It's I really think, no joke. Uh, this episode was uh, spot on because, like I said, I had a lot of questions in my DM that I got to and that you answered perfectly. Um, and for the for this is like across several boards, right? With this is, like you said, like make sure that you're squared away in every aspect, like from the legal to like the, you know, town, you know, ordinances, because I think a lot of people don't know these things. And I think they got a, a wealth of information today with a lot of the stuff that you mentioned and um, in, in like in closing, I think that you have a lot of uh, like your sayings always resonate. You kind of, cause you kind of went back full circle from when you like the buyout to like selling, like just making sure that both parties involved leave in, in, you know, in a space that they both felt like they got a good deal out of it. Yeah. And I think that is like the premise of this whole thing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, do your due diligence and make sure that both parties walk away somewhat happy. Yeah, you know, and and if you for some reason like feel unhappy about it, like that's kind of your fault. Yeah, you know, yeah. like if I left the deal and like I didn't feel happy about it, I'd be like, fuck, man, like that's I wouldn't get mad at the other person, but like, fuck, man, like I should have done A, B, and C. I should have done this angle, you know, like if I, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I'm trying to think if there's any deals that I was like, oh fuck, that was a bad one. I was like, ah. Eh. I mean, my house I ended up paying 50 grand more for it yeah, than, than well, my original contract. But, you know, like that, that was the market at the time. And at the end of the day, it's shit you know, happens. Happy about Could it. Could have been worse. Could have been, been worse. It, it, dude, if I didn't buy it at the time now, I wouldn't afford to live in the neighborhood I live in now. So, yeah. you know, you get to look at house and be like, you know what? It actually wasn't as bad as I thought. I was pissed about it at the time, but it's like, oh, this actually wasn't so bad. That's so bad. Oh. But this is uh, the coaching couch. And um, like I always say at the end of every single episode, please like subscribe and share our last episode did really well. So we are going to ask again that you like subscribe and share, and we will be back next week with another episode. We're going to figure out where we're going to go with that one. But um, I think this one was aces. I like to thank uh, Manny and cam for partaking. De nada. And uh, giving Manny, us that's, you're welcome. Oh, Spanish. Thank you. <laughs> Thank and giving you. us Thank the, you, White Cam. Uh, that wealth of information that you guys have. Um, yeah, we're going to sign out. Hit that top button for me there, Manny. I will. And uh, if anyone has any questions,
questions about any of this stuff. I love talking about it. You guys could hit me up on my Instagram, Coach Mandy underscore HP. Um, thank you guys. All right. And we are out. Buy another one, you rich mother. Buy your couch. Buy your couch.